0: Welcome to the Stefan Levera podcast. Hey guys, it's your host Stefan Levera and today my guest is Justin Moon. Justin has been doing a lot of really interesting work recently in terms of educating people about Bitcoin with his YouTube videos and also his new Biddle Bootcamp. So welcome to the show, Justin.
1: Thanks, Stephen. It's great to, great to be here. I'm a, a loyal listener and uh, I love following you on the internet. It's great to meet you know, and actually hear your voice, have a chat with you. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So look, Justin, I know you've got
0: a really interesting story and you only recently came into Bitcoin. So maybe just start with a little bit of your story on how did you get into Bitcoin and just how did you pick it up so quickly?
1: Yeah, I've, I've been reflecting on this a little bit. I talked to Mart. I was on Marty Bent's podcast, and I had one answer. And I've thought about it a little bit since then because I hadn't really reflected it on it. But I think, uh, I think for a long time, I've thought money is really an interesting idea. Like when I look back, like I, I think a foundational thing for me was that I, I switched schools a lot because I always hated school, and I ended up at like a really fancy, rich prep school. And so I was, I was like a lower, you know, middle middle class, lower middle class kid, uh, surrounded by like you know the people who the the families who ran all the big companies in Minneapolis where I grew up, and so that was like a you know in middle school high school that was kind of a a thing I was surrounded by I was like wow everyone has way more money than me so I just ended up kind of thinking about money a lot during those those years, and so it's been kind of in the back of my head a lot I I went and you know read read books about money like why why do all these kids have more money than my family does right and so I'd I'd go and read some of these these sort of books about financial success and stuff like that and then I, I, I grew up and Uh, I let that go. And then a couple years, you know, after I I went to school and and after I studied math. And so afterwards, I was during school, I was looking for, uh, you know, I I started to I learned to code and like, long story short, and I and after after school, I I joined a financial technology startup. And what we were basically doing is making like programmable money, uh, in a sense. And uh, but we were doing it uh, on top of uh, basically a. Prepaid API from MasterCard. So we would we would uh, we had we had some software that could uh, issue these uh, prepaid debit cards like everyone in a company and then they could use apps like a web app a mobile app to Handle permissions around spending the company's money on their card without having to let's say spend their own money and get reimbursed And so it was, it was like it was basically like programmable money. It's like it's a programmable treasury for the company you know, you could uh, uh, an accountant could say like, oh, so and so is going on a trip, or a oh, manager. Let's let's authorize them to spend some money, but make sure they have to upload receipts. Kind of say what what is necessary in order to for for the spending to be valid. And so it's like it was like programmable money, but it wasn't, of course. Uh, it wasn't, you know, there was no Austrian economics in my mind or anything like that. But but I was very attracted to this idea of like improving how capital works. And I think that's in the end why I like this company. And, and the company ended up—I mean, we were close to being a big deal, but it kind of fell apart. And a couple of things we did is like you know the, uh, the the Square Cash card that a lot of people have. I, I built—we built the the API that that prototyped that. Venmo has a, a card program. We we basically spun that up for them. Uh, it was a bunch of—we we did some cool stuff, but it, it didn't, didn't end up working at working as a company. And then so I, you know, after that finished, I sort of like uh, bounced around for a little while and was looking for the next thing. And, uh, and actually, when, uh, you know, the price was going crazy last year, my mom called me one day and was like, you know, Justin, I'm really concerned. Uh, your, dad is, your dad is buying these like internet coins. And he wasn't like, <laughs> he wasn't investing in them. He was, uh, he was, he just liked the meme coins. Like Putin coin was his favorite coin. He thought it was, <laughs> he just wanted to go to the grocery store and pay with Putin coin. Cause he just thought that was so funny or like pay his taxes in Putin coin, you know, like, <laughs> okay, IRS, you know, here's a little Putin coin, right? <laughs> just like, and so that was when I, you know, I would encountered Bitcoin, but I always thought it was sort of like a stupid nerd thing. Right. I didn't think it was something normal people would be interested in. And, uh, and that was the thing that made me check my assumptions. It was like, Hey, if something's going on here, my dad, you know, doesn't not really tech literate, can't really send text messages you know, it wasn't that he was using it as an investment. He just thought it was like, he thought there was, he thought it wasn't a joke or, you know, he he thought it was at least a joke worth participating in. And so, yeah, so I was like, oh, there's something here. And so that that kind of was a year ago or so. And I just like slowly got more and more interested in it. And then about six months ago, I kind of said like, hey, I I should really pursue this like kind of full time because I have the right background. Like, I, you know, I have a math degree. I know how to code. I've read some economics books. Like I had, I have, you know, Bitcoin is very interdisciplinary, and so uh, if you have a f- two or three of these things that it builds upon, I think I think that helps you uh, helps you kind of transition. And so so then I went and did uh, Jimmy Song's programming blockchain class, which I really recommend. It's great if you're a programmer. This is like Bitcoin programming, and uh, and that really got me started. And 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 then you know it's been just kind of the last those six months ago. And so that's that's basically when I decided to make a run at it, and uh, and yeah, here I am. So I've only really been in Bitcoin for six months.
0: Yeah, fantastic story, Justin. Now I did want to cut you off earlier, and one question I had was around the payments narrative, right? So you came from what was arguably the fintech background totally. in a payments company. Now, many of those people who had that certain focus, they sort of got distracted by things like Bcash and falling into what you know Pierre Rashad might have termed something like a payments maximalist position, and worrying too much about you know oh how many TPS transactions per second, rather than understanding Bitcoin as a broader sound money aspect. How did you avoid falling into that payments trap?
1: I think because I looked at it briefly a couple of years ago and it seemed like it was just crap for payments. <laughs> like it wasn't, <laughs> you know, Visa's like objectively better at payments and right. And, and MasterCard and all that. And so it's like, uh, you know, I, I was, that, that illusion was, was, uh, I, I lost that years ago because it, it's just like, it's just clearly better. Uh, and so that's, that's basically explains why I didn't get into it for so long. It's like, I had that. I, I so yeah. A better way of saying it is like I did have payments maximalism. I thought that like the important thing for a financial technology was like how easy or how, you know how useful it was for payments, and so so that's why I didn't get into Bitcoin. Like I didn't understand the monetary aspect of things, and so I was like, yeah, screw screw Bitcoin. It's like it's just like need, needlessly complicated, right? And so so yeah, like that was really like losing that and understanding that that basically money could be improved. Like I, I just never that just never occurred to me that you could improve money. I thought it was like. I don't know. I thought it was like some platonic ideal that we, like we inherited, you know, and it's just like this, this thing that you can't change. Right. It's just like an, like a, like a natural element of our universe. And so when, when I, when I had that, when I questioned that, I was like, Oh, you could actually, like there's this really smart group of people who's actually trying to change money. And, and that, then not that they were, but like that, that's important because like at the end of the day, I think my, I'm really like a capitalist. I believe that, uh, that just, uh, that, that the, you know, the price mechanism markets, uh, you know, uh, free markets are really what drive progress and make the world better. And so, you know, when I see, a, when I see a, you know, I've always, when I was, when I seen like a controlled market, like some, some market the government manages, I'm like, oh, how horrible this is like, we should get rid of that. But it never occurred to me that money was a controlled market by the government, right? And so like, that's really what that's when it hit me is like, oh, yeah, payments are not a big deal compared to like, monetary policy and stuff like that because the government is has a chokehold on the market for capital right the most important market for if you're if you're sort of like of the capitalist persuasion so so that was really what made me turn away from uh from payments and and look towards like monetary policy but i guess you know a related thing just as like a side note is like i actually was interested in ethereum much earlier i you know this is like the other loophole right or this is the other thing people get stuck on right it's like the i don't know what would you call the i don't what, the what smart would you contract call contract blockchain maximumist, yeah, exactly. i guess yeah. yeah yeah smart contract blockchain utility yeah like some utility thing right uh like they want they want utility of whatever the heck that means and so uh so yeah i i encountered that like four or five years ago right basically like i was interested in ethereum before the ico i just never thought it was an investment i thought it was like a app development platform, basically, so I never thought of buying any, but uh, like when it came out, you know, I, I forgot about it for a while, when it came out, I tried to build like a bookie, right? Because I'm like, I'm sitting here like, well, what, you know, what could I build with this that I can't build with AWS, Amazon Web Services, right? Because that was like, Amazon Web Services is like the old school centralized world computer and Ethereum is like the new school decentralized world computer. So I'm like, okay, this is such a great thing. I should be able to build one useful app on it, right? So I tried to build a bookie you know, someone, it's like a, a program that you could make sports bets on and it would, it would pay you. And, uh, I just completely failed. It was, it seemed, it just, I couldn't figure out how to get it to work. And, uh, I had trouble running the node and I had trouble, I just had trouble all over the place. And so, uh, so that kind of, after that point, I was never really interested in Ethereum anymore. Cause it was just, it seemed like, it's like I gave it a shot and, uh, you know, there's only so much time. And so I, I, I turned away from that as well. And, uh, and yeah, in Bitcoin of, of all these different value propositions that people in the this quote unquote crypto space present, like the kind of the monetary maximalist is the only position that uh, that really stuck. Like I, I have a very open mind and I'll consider every one of them, but it's the only one that I that that really I was able to find interesting for a prolonged period of time.
0: Excellent. So, on this topic of monetary maximalism, what is it that drove you to that belief? And then I guess the next part is what? How do you think about this idea of conviction? You know, conviction of belief in Bitcoin superiority.
1: I think. I mean, the thing that really got me was like. I, I mean, this is kind of a cop out, but the uh, you know, reading Safe Dean's book and uh, the Bitcoin Standard and reading basically everything on the Nakamoto Institute, the website that Pierre Richard and Bitstein, Michael Goldstein run, was really like the the thing that completely rewired my beliefs on these things. Like I, I just never, I never encountered any of these ideas before, like the history of money, uh, the kind of the properties it has, the, some of the shortcomings current money had with old money, the, 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 the fact that like a free market money would behave very differently than a fiat money. Like, uh, like to me, that was the thing that just understanding that our, our current condition wasn't really natural. And, uh, And that, you know, the the economy worked really well when we had a gold standard, you know, in the late 1800s, which safety really goes in depth with on his book. To me, that was like the. And it's like I'm an engineer, so I I really appreciate simplicity. And so, you know, like like all of us, I took an economics class at some point and was like, none of this makes any sense. Right. (laughs) And like. You know, I have a, I was studying math. Like, I can figure out, I can understand what you're saying, but it's like, boy, it seems contrived and convoluted. Uh, and then, so you present, you know, like, you know, you have this the central bank that like creates money out of nowhere and has, you know, gives it to them and you know gives it here and there and uh, kind of like, you know, there's this whole whole industries that, that spend all their time just trying to interpret what this oracle says. It seems like primitive to me. It seems like stuff they used to do in ancient Greece. And, uh, and so like to the engineer in me and, and, you know, and that's sort of the monetary side, the, on the financial side, like, I mean, Visa and MasterCard are on a technical level, just like houses of cards. Like when we built this previous kind of API for issuing debit and credit cards, like programmable debit and credit cards, they sent us their API documentation in a bunch of Excel files. And we basically had to parse these Excel files and sort of like generate a schema that we thought their API would follow and then test it. And of course it was wrong all over the place. And there's all kinds of undocumented behavior. And, uh, eventually we were going to do a, uh, and this is like with one of the multi-billion dollar payment processors, like a really big company, 10, bit multi, like a huge company we were interacting with and, you know, we were going to do a credit card platform and they, it actually ran on a mainframe. And so it's like, it's like this to the engineer in me, this is all like, super convoluted because you, you know you want like a simple system like simple systems work work the best and it's all about choosing what the right kind of in a system it's all you know having the right abstractions and having the the you know like simple composable pieces that you can put together to do complicated things like that's what a really good system looks like and to both the monet, US monetary system and to the like the financial system like the world monetary system the world financial system they're both like extremely contrived and there's just there's just so much like uh, excess that you could cut away. And and so that's I think that's one of the other things. As I started to do more actual like Bitcoin programming and understood how like the, the protocol works. It's like, oh, my God, you know, there's like like that was one of the things I think that really got me mo- interested is like it's just it's just so much more simple and elegant. And I think that will lead to just inefficiencies all over the place based on my experience as a programmer. So, so yeah, that's th- th- those were the things that really uh, got me interested. And then on the, the conviction side, the second part of your question, like, uh, I guess you know, when you compare Bitcoin to other things, it's like I just I tend not to see many differences in terms of like what it does. Like, I don't I don't think there are, you know, I come at this from like you know spending some time in the startup community and like, you know, you. If you, want to, if you want to displace a, a, an incumbent in a startup environment, you have to be way, way, way better than them, right? Like we were trying to, you know, uh, displace, for example, we had like an expense management product and we were trying to displace Expensify. Like it had to be, we ended up not being good enough. And, and, and you know, to, 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 to displace an incumbent, you have to be like, you know, not incrementally better, but, but vastly better. Just because there's all these hidden switching costs, which you understand better by reading some economics, uh, and and like there's all these there's all these like hidden costs that that are on the other side of any of any like foreseeable benefit, right? Like the idea that that Ethereum has an added benefit of being more programmable, right? That's true, maybe, but it is true. Like there are there are benefits there, but there are also costs, right? It's much harder to secure a system that has a basically a more complicated programming language embedded inside it. And so, so yeah, when I, so I come at it from that angle, like you have to be vastly better. And so when I look at uh, things that are non-Bitcoin, it's like, they don't really seem much different. Like, you know, like maybe you could look at something like Monero and say, maybe, yeah, it's a little better. Like, cause you can, uh, you know, you have a little more privacy, but then maybe, uh, then again, maybe it isn't because it's like a little less security, right? And security is really the thing that matters most in you know magic internet money you want it to be really secure that's the thing that's going to go wrong most of the most of the time and so like it's arguably has more benefit but then like that's not nearly enough benefit to unseat an incumbent and that's what bitcoin is at this point we're like 10 years in bitcoin is an incumbent uh it has a really strong position and so like when i look at competitive like competing currencies it's like something like I'd be open to something if it were truly better, but it'd have to be better and inclusive of all switching costs and all these hidden costs of, you know, everybody redoing their cold storage and all the, you know, the online payment things like BTC Pay Server, BitPay, all these things completely changing. Everybody has to relearn how this new thing works. You throw away all the branding that Bitcoin accumulated over 10 years, like it better. It has to be inclusive of all these things. And and when I look around, nothing's close. Nothing is even nothing is close at all so uh so yeah that, at this point i'm not even interested i'm just not interested they're, they're not enough to overcome the huge lead that bitcoin has so
0: yeah fantastic thoughts and it's 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 excellent that you can bring such a mature view to this having only been in the game for what six or twelve months right um, and i guess if i had to summarize your thoughts it's around bitcoin's overall simplicity versus the the modern day banking world and also just the fact that in order to displace bitcoin it pretty much has to be you know 10x better to use the sort of often used uh, vc word. <laughs> wording
1: yeah, yeah. You, have to be vest, wording. you have to be wearing a, a vest to a patagonia vest to say that i think it's like a, like a i believe
0: <laughs> no vest on today for me <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah so how about now it's this is an area where it's very common to make errors. Oh, me, there are so me, uh, many let me, pitfalls. Let me jump in yeah, and just on. say
1: one thing. Like, I think one of the things I think it's uh, I think it, one of the things that's really great about Bitcoin is that you get this slow drip of new people, and the slow drip of new people are like the crypto You don't have any new cryptographers coming in. Like all the cryptographers got it in the past, or they're never going to get it, and so it's like. It's like that perspective is well represented, but it's like you know, like maybe my generation is like you know a little heavier on the people from like a startup fintech background, and and we bring in like you know the next generation is going to be heavier on Wall Street. You know, the Wall Street people are just starting to get it, and so I think it's really great how you have these 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 new kind of generations of people coming in, and they all have their unique and valuable experiences, and I think that's a really great thing about Bitcoin, just in terms of its strength as a as sort of a as sort of a social phenomenon. But I think it's also a great thing about you know, a great, great reason to work in the space is like, geez, it's never uh, boring. You know, you have, you're surrounded by such intelligent, interesting, diverse people. And I think that's just like, uh, I don't know, people like the mainstream view on this just does not get that at all. It's like, it's such a diverse group of people. Like, so I teach this class and like right now, I mean, we have like a rapper, we have a new mother, we have like people from all, any kind of technical background. We have like, I mean we have we have we have people all over the world like it's just a super people from like a financial background attorneys accountants we have like all these different backgrounds and I think that's really a great thing about bitcoin.
0: Yeah, I like that as well. I like that there's a big mix of people who are now coming into bitcoin. I think it's it's also just been very challenging because there are so many ways that people can get distracted. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any ideas on on that?
1: Oh sure, yeah. I mean Yeah, that's still a hard one. Uh, Like, I mean, my latest thing about this that sort of keeps me up at night is so I went to the the Lightning Hack Day, right? And so this was in New York City. It was like a it was like a a two day hackathon. And before that was this uh, residency for Lightning development at Chaincode Labs. And so I I I came like when that was ending, like I I applied to that and they didn't let me in because I hadn't done anything with Lightning. And the reason I hadn't done anything with lightning is I've been purposely ignoring it, right? Because I don't want to get distracted. There's so much, there's so many shiny objects that if you chase every one of them, you're never going to get anywhere. So I've I've purposely ignored lightning, even though I think it's fascinating. And so when this like residency comes, I try to apply, of course they reject me. because like, I haven't, I clearly haven't even attempted anything. And then, so I I come the last day and watch the pitches and I'm just like, oh my God, what an amazing missed opportunity. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't change what I did because like, I, I think it was, you know, you, you you just want to start like what I've done is just I just focus on a little thing, uh, trying to understand how the Bitcoin protocol works on a technical level. Like every once in a while, I'll read an article on Lightning. I'll read an article on monetary policy. Maybe I'll try to read some Austrian economics or some some of these people recommend to me. But like I don't get very far on any of the stuff besides like actually trying to understand how the Bitcoin protocol works on a technical level. Uh and the really the foundation and that's all I've done for six months and I'm starting to get a grasp on it. But like, I've had to ignore everything. Uh, uh, so yeah, that, that's been really successful for me. Just, just ignoring it. And, uh, and I mean, sometimes you fall into the trap. I think one of the most dangerous things is watching the price because it's like, you just, you just really got to not do that. It just, it just hijacks your mind. Like, and we're all, I don't know, even like I tell myself, well, I'm some like, you know, I'm a programmer. I'm in it for the right reasons. No, I'm not. I mean, like if I'd stare at that price too long, I'd become possessed by it just like everybody else. So that's that's pretty uh, that's pretty dangerous. I think I don't know. I think you you see some of the people in Bitcoin. uh, Like I I noticed some people like have gotten made a lot of money on it and now they just basically live off like the crypto trader people on Twitter. And I think that's a pretty dangerous thing to do, too, like. I think the smart thing to do is just like lock it away and try to, you know, pay your bills in some other manner because, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think at the end of the day, you just want to be productive. And if you, if you find some like windfall financial gain, you shouldn't stop being productive. It's kind of like what, what lottery winners do and that, that really doesn't turn out well. So that's something I see people do that, like, I, I wish they'd do a little less of, and I really, you know, if I get lucky and the Bitcoin I bought very recently, uh, appreciates like I'm going to try not to like live off that because I see a lot of people doing it and it doesn't seem to be like a very good life a very good life and yeah I mean another yeah Yeah. like I've never heard anyone talk about that but like every a lot of these conferences I go to yeah it's like a lot of these people just kind of stop being productive and like you know humans are kind of beasts of burden we need to you need to like pull a heavy load and and so uh that's something I really try to I'm going to try to avoid uh and I think and another big kind of Error I see people do. Yeah, I, I kind of addressed it already, but there's this idea of like, what constitutes a better Bitcoin and and people just dwell on this, right? It's like, like, that's, this is what all that Coinbase thinks about. This is like, all that Bitmain, you know, the, all the biggest companies besides basically like BitMEX, they're all kind of dwelling on how to make a better Bitcoin, all the VCs, uh, everyone's like, either because they actually think it's possible or because they're trying to scam people, uh, and like, I think you really, I just don't think people think about that properly. Like they don't think of all the switching costs involved and, uh, all the, the really strong group of people that Bitcoin has accumulated over 10 years. I just don't think they, I think everyone dwells on that. And I don't think it's like, I think they really misunderstand it. And, you know, a lot of the people who've done that got, you know, wrecked buying altcoins last you know, in the past, or, uh, I don't know, they're just in these like ridiculous, uh, you know, they're just like over-engineering everything. Like one thing you learn doing startups is like, you know, you really want to avoid over-engineering, redoing things, writing code too fast. Like you see, like I look at Ethereum now and I, I see them, you know, there's a lot of stuff about, it seems like they're trying to start, start to hurry development. Like they're clearly behind schedule. They've promised all these things and can never ship them. And now they're going to try to like make up for lost time. And boy, that is like, to anyone who's been in like a startup environment and watch, watches or a software development environment, Watch that happen. It's really red flags because you just can't make this stuff go any faster. And then you look at Bitcoin, and it's like, boy, these people have like the patience of angels. Like you know, the the Bitcoin developers are so patient. Like you go in, uh, you know, Pierre Pierre Richard has this great site called Bitcoin AX, ACKS, that kind of tracks, you know, what's moving, how the how, how the how the uh, attempted changes to the Bitcoin code are, are progressing you know, a lot of these things, they're not accepted for like six months. Right. And like, that's a year, you know, it's, it's a really long time to wait for a small code change you know, like 10 or 20 lines of code, but that's how it should be in something that's so mission critical and important. And, and that conservatism I really like about the Bitcoin core developers. Uh, and I really admire it cause I tend to be kind of a cowboy when I'm coding. Like I, I don't, I'm not nearly as conservative as I should be. Uh, and so I really admire that. And then, and then you look at some of these other things, you know, like some of these like just seat of the pants decisions that these Bitcoin cash forks have made, you know, like disallowing like hard coding a protection against uh, 10 plus block reorgs, like stuff like that. It's like I'd, I'd, I think that the conservatism of Bitcoin is really superior to, to those philosophies.
0: Yeah, and I think it, you. I like the comments you were making and it also ties back to this idea of working on something that's meaningful mm-hmm. and people need meaning and it's not, you know, some people may have and there are cases of Bitcoin rich people who continue working not because, you know, they need to work but because they want oh, to yeah. and they've chosen a career in an area that is meaningful to them and part of that is you want to work on a protocol that you believe is going to last for the long run.
1: Yeah, it's a beautiful... Uh... I mean, it's a beautiful setup that like I was talking to some friend in the startup world and it's like we we're just talking about the kind of the incentives of the Bitcoin core developers. And like, you know, you look at some of these people who've been around a long time, you know, if they bothered to buy any coins, it's appreciated a lot and they're now like kind of uh financially secure. And so you, you have this like class of people who is who are all financially secure, who don't really need a, a steady income, uh, and they're they're able to like they're they're extremely independent. Uh and then they're also, you know, it's it's uh it's like an opt-in completely merit meritocratic environment. So uh you know, you just get sort of the most random, you know, you, you get such a such a kind of a, a diverse group of people that are the you know the the most prolific contributors to Bitcoin Core. And I think that's like uh I mean, I don't know of any other system that's really like that where the kind of the financial incentives of the uh the developers are at once so aligned with the success of the project but also uh sort of like you know nobody can you know there's kind of no boss to like punish them in any way they all can assert their independence in a very very strong way that a traditional kind of hierarchical organization just does not allow like an individual contributor to do, right? You always have, you're always accountable to this structure of bosses and stuff, which is really great in many conditions. But I think in terms of like such a purely kind of like a, a really technical uh, development of a protocol, it's, it's probably better to have this independence and this freedom, and you don't run into this problem like that, you know, some of these open source projects have where they have, like, one guy who's maintained it for 10 years, who's a genius and who's broke, right? Uh, that's a big problem that open source projects have. Many of these, like, cryptography libraries that underlie the internet, it's like you, you can go read an article. They're maintained by one guy who basically, like, lives in a doghouse, right? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's... uh it's, uh, it's too bad, and it's, it's not a good thing for that protocol, but Bitcoin kind of escapes this problem in a unique way.
0: Uh, let's now talk about this idea of, sort of related as well, is this idea of building up a career without necessarily going through the traditional pathway for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, there are a lot of people now who are doing learning, you know, learning to code online, and they don't necessarily have a computer science degree. Do you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is one of the, uh, like if I weren't doing Bitcoin stuff, I would probably be working in education. Uh, like, you know, I, I, I've jumped around schools all the time when I was a kid, cause I always hated the schools I was in. Uh, I finally got to this fancy prep school, ended up dropping out, probably was the first kid in forever that dropped out. And then I went to college briefly dropped out again, finally got a math, like an honors math degree. So I was like this really weird, uh, academic background like and i just have hated school every time i'm there so i I really like this i like what's happening where you where uh like really highly regarded employers for example like wall street banks startups stuff like that they're starting to hire more people who don't come from like that for reasons other than pure credentials, which is the way it was for a couple decades here. And I think that's a really, a really good thing because I think a lot of these programs uh, are super expensive and don't add very much value. Uh, They basically just, you know, like if you're, if you make it through Harvard, it's not like Harvard added anything. It's like you were the one, one in a thousand that could run the gauntlet. And so you just had that kind of innate ability or I mean, mostly innate ability, right? Mostly IQ. Like that's really what is, is being signaled. Like you were able to get 1600 on your SAT good for you. Uh, And so I think it's, I think it's a lot better to, or you had a really good work ethic, right? Like, so I think it's, it's, it's great that we're able to uh, like, I see all these opportunities that people are finding to, to build a career, to find meaningful work and to, to assemble, to figure out how to do this in like six months or a year, instead of like four to six to like, I mean, sometimes like ten years, right? If you do a, a undergrad and then get a PhD, that's ten years, right? My friends, some of my friends are getting medical degrees. It's like four years plus another four plus three. It's like eleven years, right? And then you actually get a job. You are, you know, are a doctor. And so, so I, I'm really excited about some of this stuff. And so, that and that's why a little, you know, rambled a little bit there. But uh, and so yeah, like one of the. One of the things that's really, and this gets into what I'm kind of working on now, is like, it's one of the things that's really interesting is like, I think there's, you know, I think that the number of programming jobs doubles like every five years. I think that's been one of these like consistent trends over the last like 50 years. I I forget if it's five years or less than that. It's like, uh, it's kind of like a Moore's law type thing. It just consistently doubles. And so, you know, we're finally getting to the point where it's like your everyday person kind of has a reason to learn to code. And there's just like endless employers, softwares eating everything. And so uh, I just think this is a really, a really interesting thing. Like, uh, like I look back to my own educational experience. I spent probably $50,000 on this like math degree and no one's ever asked me for a diploma. I've never, most of the, I only recently started using any of the uh, specific things I learned actually to understand how like Bitcoin digital signatures work. We actually use some math that I studied in college, which was kind of cool. That's, but that's the only time it's ever been useful. And so I had to put up with like two and a half years of this crap. Uh, whereas, like, if I had ha- if I had gotten interested in Bitcoin, I'm surely could have I surely could have taught this stuff to myself if I was sufficiently motivated. So, so I think this is this is like a big change. It's like people find you can instead of like this like just in case learning where you say you know I'm going to go learn all this stuff just in case I need it. You can go find something you're really interested in. Like, let's say I want to be a Bitcoin developer. or Let's say uh, you know I want to be a writer or like you know like some sort of like a you know uh, content creator on the internet or something like that. Uh, like a podcast producer or something like that, you can just go and learn the things you need to do that. And uh, since the internet's wide open, you can, you can get in there. And so, so yeah, like I I had this math degree, it never was worth anything. And then I I did a coding class online. It was, I I did a, I tried a couple free ones and I never actually got anywhere. And then I did a paid one where I paid like 300 bucks a month and was like kind of accountable to a mentor. And that was actually what got me to turn the corner. And so within six months after those like a three month course in during college, after I finished that, uh, within a couple of weeks I was able to get my first like internship and then a job. And so like every dollar I've made basically for the past five years has been because of that nine hundred dollars I spent on that class. Uh the fifty thousand dollars I spent on a math degree has been completely useless in an economic <laughs> sense. And so yeah, I, I see a lot of this stuff that's kind of opening up. And, you know, I'm really jealous of these like 18 year old kids who get a pro, a coding job. You know, like there's some really young kids in Bitcoin now that are starting to contribute in a big way, and it's like, good God, you guys it's it's such a better path. You get to escape crushing debt. You get to find meaningful work immediately. You get you get this like experience in the real world while everybody else is still getting kind of like theoretical knowledge and getting polluted by ideologies. Like like everyone at a university is like a Marxist these days, and so you're like you're lucky if you escape that environment without being polluted a little bit with some of these like kind of anti productive uh, ideologies. So so yeah, I just think there's. Uh, I think there's a like there's some huge asymmetries in education right now. You know, like this nine hundred dollar class has gotten me ten like hundreds of thousands of dollars in pay in salary over the years, and then like my fifty thousand dollar degree is is worthless. And you see this all over the place. Like, uh you know, I, I really encourage everybody involved in Bitcoin to like if you don't know about if you never if you don't have a like if you have a fulfilling career that's great. Like, I think most people should just continue doing that and then buy Bitcoin. Like. In terms of like what, if you want to help, like, you know, that's, that's a good way to help, right? Help adoption by adopting it yourself. That's probably the most you can do. But if you don't have a, uh, a career, a fulfilling career, like try coding, you really should try it. I think everyone should try it. Uh, unless you already have a thing, you know? And so, uh, and I think it's, I think, I think it's a lot easier than people think. Like it's actually possible. You don't have to be a genius. Uh, there's, you know the average programmer makes like over a hundred thousand uh, dollars, and you can do that within like two years. Usually, you can get enough experience to get like to a mid-level position that pays like that. Uh, it's really fun. It's like a it's like a if you like video games, it's like a video game kind of like, but it's productive. Uh, and so yeah, that's, that's that's kind of one of the things I'm I'm really big on is like if you uh, if you don't have a fulfilling career, consider learning to code. Because it's a really fulfilling career for many people, and it pays really well and it gives you a lot of financial and time and location freedom and so uh so yeah, that's kind of uh I rambled a little bit there again, but uh but yeah, that's uh yeah no the i thoughts. I think that's a great
0: way to put it because what we're seeing happen now is we're seeing almost these competing theories of how you demonstrate your value, one of those is this idea that's that you know you you signal and you get a credential from the university or from the gatekeeper. And then the other model that they sort of say is, oh, well, actually, maybe some of that value is coming from what's called the human capital model, as in those universities are really teaching you marketable skills. But then the question and yeah. to, your, to what you were saying earlier is that there is that big price differential, because if you are just paying $800 for a coding class versus paying $50,000 for a math degree, well, there's a big, big yeah. difference. Now, another model some people have spoken about is this idea of kind of like signaling, but in a different way. So let's say you learn to code, um, but then you need a way to signal to future employers that you um, have you, that you can code, right? And one way is to have a, a portfolio yeah, exactly. on GitHub and so on. Um, that yeah. what are some ways that you can demonstrate your ability?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things uh, there are like when people learn to code. There, like so i've i've this is kind of like my twitter brand it's like i help i help i basically help hodlers learn to code like that's what i've been doing uh as i kind of broke into bitcoin I, I found that like there was a lot of people who were interested in like nobody helping them so that's kind of i have a lot of people that i talk to that i'm kind of helping helping through this and so one of the questions they always have is like well how do i get a job I, I don't want to commit to this unless i can find a job and it's a hard thing to answer like uh, for me personally what I did was I went and showed up to like every meetup I could find. I built like one I built one project that was really crappy and if you were a experienced programmer but if you were a complete noob like I was it was it showed a lot of like resourcefulness. And so I would just go to meetups and like talk to people and if anybody was like, you know, had a company of any kind, I'd, I'd kind of show them the, the thing and I think it took me like 3 meetups to find my the job I ended up getting, you know, like I met a guy who was one of the first programmers at Pinterest He's like, I got a startup. It sounded kind of interesting. And I showed him and like, boom, I was basically hired. Uh, and so, so like what worked for me was like just building something, just, uh, doing the best I could while I was still on sophisticated. And like, there aren't a lot of, you know, there aren't a lot of people out there who are new to it that can actually produce like that's, you want to demonstrate the ability to produce. That's what any kind of employer wants. They look at, when you're an employer, you look at people and say, like, can this person produce? Can this person, can I tell them a end goal and will they make it happen? And for most people, the answer is no. And so if you can just, like, show some uh, history of doing that. And like, so GitHub's a great way. Like, you know, the, the surest way to get hired as a programmer is to just have this this GitHub. It's like kind of a portfolio. If you have, like, one or two interesting projects there that uh, relate to whatever you're trying to do uh, that are, like, not just super basic, like, you're already in the super elite category because just not there aren't many people like that you you just go to this like rarefied air uh, instantly and uh, another a lot of other ways is like in Bitcoin in particular like I mean within like a the, a month of taking that first class I started like basically you know mess with people at a conference started giving them uh, I do like a once a week like hour-long class where I basically taught whatever I learned that week and it was mostly like the peer-to-peer network programming how to like one of the first things we did was we wrote a crawler that could go crawl all the, the nodes on the network. Or not all the nodes, all the nodes that advertised their presence and weren't using Tor. And so we'd go and crawl that. We ended up basically doing a simple version of initial block download. And this took like two months, but every every weekend we'd, we'd get on. And, and actually, Rigel, one of your previous guests, was one of the people that I met at a conference. And he'd, he'd kind of hop oh, on. Nice. and uh, And so this was like a really good thing because I just started like sharing what I learned. And, you know, within like three months, like this was on Jameson Lopp's uh, resources page, you know, his his uh, his his list of all the best resources in Bitcoin. Uh, you know, it's got like, a, you know, tons of views. And I, I've done this now with a few kind of video sets. I started a uh, a meetup like that's another way to do it. It's just like, you know, invite people and then give them a talk on what, you know, like these are all ways that. uh You can demonstrate what you know, like giving talks, you know, like putting out some content on YouTube, putting a thing on GitHub, uh, talking at a a conference. And, and there's just a huge, like wherever you are, there's a shortage of this stuff. People will, if your content is good at all, uh, if you understand what you're doing at all, you can create good content really. And if your content is good at all, there's tons of people who would consume it. And, and you're like almost instantly you're in this, again, this kind of rarefied air because people are too lazy to do that really, uh, there are, just aren't many people that go and do all these things. So, so those are a couple ways that you can just sort of like. I, that's what I, my my recommendation is always just like go produce something. Just be like, uh, just be like. Uh, when you when you get into some sort of like, uh, like you want to just exude productivity to whoever is considering hiring you when you're trying to break into a field. And you'll just get hired instantly uh, because just most people aren't productive. That's my experience. Uh, and that's what I kind of try to, it's, it's sort of like a wishy-washy description, but I think this is, this is the, the way you got to do it.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think uh, hopefully the listeners are now feeling motivated to get out there and do their own project. <laughs> and uh, if they want to learn, tell them a little bit about Biddle Bootcamp and the structure of it.
1: Biddle Bootcamp, yeah. So Biddle Bootcamp, it's uh, you know, I don't think anybody likes the word biddle. It's kind of like a stupid, like HODL is cool. Biddle, it's a, you don't even know how to Agreed. pronounce it, but I was like I, yeah, <laughs> I don't really like it myself. But it's like uh, it's very descriptive, uh, and that's why I chose it for the name. It's like I tell you, it's Biddle Bootcamp. You basically know exactly what it's going to be. It's it's like a online programming bootcamp, uh, the Bitcoin programming bootcamp. So the long term vision is like let's say. Uh, in a couple of years, when we have our next bull market uh, and we have this flood of programmers who want to learn how Bitcoin works, I would like to be able to plug them into this class and in like maybe three months part time get them up to speed so they're kind of like a Bitcoin programmer. They could they could switch from you know whatever banking job they have to maybe a Bitcoin job once the there's that more of a market for this stuff. But at the, at the moment there there honestly aren't many Bitcoin programmer jobs and they're all filled by people who've been at it for a few years who are super, super expert. And so kind of on my way to that, like that's my end goal. What I'm at right now is I basically teach HODLers how to code. Uh, So like we have these, we basically have three kind of extended projects we do and, you know, maybe half my class is a somewhat experienced programmer. Half my class is kind of new. I send them to a, uh, uh intro python programming class python is a programming language it's like the simplest language is why i use it so like the ideas are really complex you want a very simple language so that that's the language is not what's confusing us it's the confusing ideas or the complex ideas rather and so so yeah that's kind of the breakdown maybe half the people are experienced half the people are new and so we do these three projects and this is how i'm teaching people how bitcoin works the first project is we build a little mini implementation of the Bitcoin network in Python. So it's a little mini network that can run on your computer that uh, has all the core ideas of Bitcoin, right? It has like proof of work mining. It has transaction inputs and outputs. It has digital signatures. Uh, it has uh, a peer-to-peer network. Uh, so you you know these you can run multiple peers and they have to all kind of connect to each other and propagate new transactions and blocks. Uh, It has chain reorganizations, which is like the last we're still kind of working on. I'm still kind of working on that. But uh, I mean, to be able to to be able to go through and build a project step by step that can actually do a chain reorganization. This is when, you know, you have a fork and this fork kind of uh, surpasses the longest chain that you have. And then so that becomes kind of your new chain. If it if it, you know, someone else's chain uh, gets longer than yours, you have to go and basically rewind history and then. Uh, play history forward on this new chain, uh, updating, like basically undoing your UTXO database and redoing it on this new chain. Uh, and that's really hard to do. And like my students now, many of whom didn't know how to program a month ago, are learning how to do this, which is really great. And so uh, and so the way we go at it is at the beginning, like it's really hard. So this was inspired by a project called Tiny Chain. Tiny Chain is like a thousand line little mini implementation of Bitcoin. And by the way, this doesn't like interoperate with the real Bitcoin network at all. It's like a little separate mini thing. And uh, and so I saw this and I was like, this really helped me understand. But it's like, well, how do you teach people about this? Uh, there's just so many things going on at once. You really want to find a way to build it up incrementally. And so what I did was I, I started with like the stupidest version of digital cash that I could think of. Basically, it's like the way that this is called PNG coin, PNG for the like dot PNG photographs. Oh, right. uh, the way this the way it's transferred is like you take a picture of a of a physical signature of saying, like, I, Alice, give this coin to Bob, and then you sign Alice, right? And so you can visually inspect the history of any every one of these coins, and and by by opening up these PNG files, uh, and you can see whether the coin's valid or not, right? It has, and it actually is kind of, you could use it as digital cash, it has, but it has every problem you can imagine. It can be tribu- trivially counterfeit. Uh, the first transaction is basically issued by Donald Trump. He's like, "I, Donald Trump, give this to you," and it's a picture of him holding up the executive order. <laughs> so, like, you can go and create one of these in a meme generator, right? So, you can, you can, uh, you can, you can uh, create fake coins easily. You can, you know, say, "I, Alice, yada yada," and sign Alice, even if you're not Alice. You can forge transactions. You can double spend because you can you know, make one trans- transfer, give it to someone else, make another transfer, give it to a different person. They have no idea who got it first. Uh, it's, it has like every problem. I won't go over every problem. And so what we do is step by step, we t- address the biggest problem and we make like a slightly better version. So the obvious first thing to do is remove the, the photographs of analog signatures. And so we do that, we introduce digital signatures, which is what Bitcoin uses and they're great. And so you actually understand like, oh. This is why Bitcoin or digital signatures are great. This is why Bitcoin uses them. And then, you know, the next problem is like, well, these can still be really doub- easily double spent. So we introduce like a bank, right? And that's great. A bank, a, c- a central central authority can remove the risk of double spending, but, uh, you know, it has some other risks, right? It becomes a honeypot for activists and stuff like that. Uh, and so eventually we end up making like a peer-to-peer network. And so the problem with that is like, well, how do you keep your nodes in sync? Initially, we have like a fixed number of nodes, kind of like EOS. And these guys just take turns, but like, if you want the number of nodes to fluctuate, if you want anyone to participate, so it's not like a syndicate, you need some way for them to agree. And that's what Bitcoin proof of work is. And, you know, if you do that, then, uh, you know, sometimes you have, you know, Bitcoin's proof of work model is really interesting because it it actually allows like two valid chains to happen at the same time, right? Like uh, if two people mine the block at the same time, both chains are kind of valid. And Bitcoin just says, well, we'll see who wins over time and who which which chain gets longer. And so, you know, you have to be able to handle that now, which is like chain reorganizations. And so over these many steps, we basically, you know, implement all these little versions of digital cash. We end up making like 12 of them. And at the end, you have basically a mini Bitcoin and you really understand every line of it. It's a thousand lines. It's a very large program. It's pretty complicated and you understand it. So I think that's a really cool uh, way of teaching Bitcoin. like. This is just like what I wish I would have had access to when I got involved. Like I wish somebody would have, I'm just making the class I wish I would have had when I got involved. And so uh, that's the first thing we do. The second thing is we, we do just like raw Bitcoin network programming. So we we go and go to the site bitnodes.earn.com. It's, like a, it's just a site that shows all the nodes on the network. And so you go and look up an IP address, right? The host name and the port. And you write a little couple lines of Python code that will go try to connect to them. And of course, like the connection doesn't really work for some reason. And so we pull up some documentation and you learn about this version handshake. The version handshake is basically how two nodes on the Bitcoin network will agree to communicate to each other. It's like a very specific protocol you have to do. And so once you learn how to do that, then you can actually exchange messages with this node. And so we tried a couple different messages and this is like. You know, really raw, low-level programming. So you're only you're sending like bytes over the network, which are basically numbers between zero and two fifty-five and two hundred fifty-five. And so uh, you have to figure out what these numbers between zero and two fifty-five mean. And you know, we you know we learn how to do this in excruciating detail, so that you know, if someone sends us a block that is just a bunch of numbers between zero and two fifty-five, we can actually interpret you know, what the third transaction's second output is in that block because we, you know, we learn how to, we learn what every byte means. And so this is really, I think it's a really interesting project and uh, it really gives you a sense of the distributed nature of, and permissionless nature of the Bitcoin network, right? Like usually when you're doing a coding project, the first thing you do is you go get API keys, right? If you want to code on Stripe, you have to go get API keys, which is permission to participate. In Bitcoin, that's not the case. In Bitcoin, you just have to figure out how to do the version handshake, how to, talk to your peer. And it's really like eye opening. Uh, and so this is really fun. You know, we end up writing a crawler that can go crawl the network and then, uh, do an initial block download, you know, go and validate the first couple hundred transactions, thousand transactions. And so that's the second block, like all this, like raw Bitcoin network programming. And the third block, the third part of the course people, the hardware wallet. And so the hardware wallet is, uh, we take a generic piece of hardware called an M5 stack. It's a $40 thing that has a screen and buttons and a little mini um, microcontroller, like a tiny little computer inside it. And then we use the same, co- basically the same, uh, heavily optimized cryptography code that Trezor uses on their devices to do like digital signatures and stuff really quickly on a low, uh, underpowered device. And we basically build a little mini Trezor, uh, and, and that's really cool. Cause you learn about what a private key is, uh, how they're generated, how you can, you know, generate, you know, uh, you know, how, how seed word w- words work, how you generate, a, uh, how you generate seed words, how you can get a secret from seed words, uh, stuff like that. And so it's, it's, it's quite a lot of fun and you get to like, you know, write a little, create a little UI for a hardware wallet. And so, uh, so that's another like really fun little project. So, you know, you have like the overall it's like you you do the, uh, And what does the net, how does the network work in general? And in principle, that's the first week. The second week is like, how, how can we talk to like the real Bitcoin peers, like our peers on the network and get information from them? How do we speak their language? And the last one is like, well, how do you kind of secure Bitcoin? How do you make a secure hardware wallet and manage secrets and, and have a little fun along the way? So that's, that's what it is now. I have ambitions for, you know, a week or two on lightning, a week or two on fungibility, like, you know, make like a little mini wasabi wallet. Uh, all these little projects I want to do and, you know, over the next couple of months, we'll figure out how to do all these, but that's where we're at now. And, uh, yeah, the, the, this month I got like 25 paid students, uh, the course is like 800 bucks, which is pretty cheap, actually. Like it's less than it took me to learn to code. Uh, the, some of the other like week, you know, Bitcoin boot camps are like two days and they cost like $4,000. So it's a fifth that price. And uh, if you sign up, you get kind of perpetual access. So as I add new stuff, you just, you're just you just a part of the community and you get access to everything I, I add. And you can retake the class as many times as you want. So I'm trying to make it a really good deal for the first people because they're like the ones who are helping me bootstrap this. Uh, and so I try to make it a really good deal for the early adopters. And yeah, everyone's happy. Uh, I give them an option to quit. Like I'll refund them at any point if they don't like it. And nobody's asked for a refund yet. So it's going pretty well
0: fantastic yeah that's excellent um you basically answered all the questions i was gonna ask um i, I do have one actually you, one you, more you question.
1: were learning i, I uh, interacted with you on the internet and you were saying you kind of interested in learning how to do python stuff just a little bit Is that yeah, true?
0: So, yeah so i am um actually learning a little bit myself so i actually yeah, keep doing it myself go. so there you go <laughs> um actually uh, the next question i had was around So, this course is mostly in Python. Do you use mostly like a Python library, or is the idea that people would then also go and learn C as well?
1: Yeah, so that's that's a great question. Uh, The current, so one distinction is between Bitcoin protocol development and Bitcoin application development. If you're doing Bitcoin protocol development, you're probably going to be contributing to Bitcoin Core, the primary library that is is, is it used to run a Bitcoin node. Uh, it's the same code that it was inherited from Satoshi. It's like the same code has just been slowly developed over time. And that's written in this language called C++, which is like a very low-level, hyper-optimized, really fast language, which is why we use it in Bitcoin Core, because it's really, really fast, and we want initial block download to be super fast, as fast as it can be. And so that's that's why it's a good fit. Uh, but it's like, it's sort of hard to understand sometimes. And when you look at the code, it looks kind of cryptic. And why I like Bitcoin or why I like Python is because you look at the code and it it reads like a, like an outline does. It's really like easy to look at and kind of understand roughly what it's doing, but it's kind of slow. And so when you're writing like a real protocol, you don't want to use Python. You want to use something really fast, like C++. But when you're running, uh, let's say writing an application, for example, like Electrum Wallet. You know, the Electrum server, that's like one of the best uh, light wallets, uh, that that bitnodes.earn.com, I was saying this like crawler that gives you a topology of the network. Uh, what are some other examples like the, the firmware for a Trezor or the firmware for a cold card? Every one of these is software written in Python. And so uh, for for protocol development, Python is insufficient. For application development, Python in many cases is pretty good. And so the idea, the answer there is like, you know, I try to prepare people more to be application developers uh, because honestly, I'm not even qualified to teach the protocol development. Like I haven't made any contributions to Bitcoin Core. I honestly don't think I should because I'm not quite careful enough. Like I want the people doing that to be just like so paranoid, (laughs) uh, you know, and that's not me. Like I am not a protocol developer. I'm not that security conscious. I'm not that paranoid. I'm not that detail oriented. Like I like the big picture. I like to do things fast. I like to you know, uh, slap things together kind of in a hacky way and make progress that way. And so that's perfectly fine. Like I'm just not really a protocol developer and that's fine. And I don't need to uh, do that. And so that's, that's my answer is like, I'm focused more on the application development, but, uh, you know, we, we build like a little mini, mini, we learn a lot about the protocol by building a little mini version of it ourselves. And so if at that point you're like, Hey, you know, I think I am the kind of security paranoid type of person that makes a good Protocol developer, then by all means. After that, I think you're in a really good position to try to like you know uh, deepen your knowledge of computer science. Now that you've kind of you have this really interesting problem to chew on, right? You're not you're not just becoming a computer scientist in case it's useful. You will learn computer science because you want to improve the Bitcoin protocol. You have a very specific task in mind, and I think that really helps. And so you know, if you took my course and make that decision, I think yeah, go ahead and, and learn the deeper stuff. But I don't think I'm ever going to teach that. Like, I think what I would love to see in the future is if some of my, you know, maybe a couple of my students, if they want to do that, then they go into a chain code residency. That's like, those guys are actual protocol developers and they're the ones who should be, who should be teaching uh, the protocol development. But it's, it's, it's really a niche thing. Like in the future, you know, you're going to have a thousand application developers for every uh, protocol developer. If we, uh, if Bitcoin is mainstreamed, right? Like there aren't many people that are developing the protocols underneath the internet there's just a very small group of highly expert people so uh so yeah that's kind of my answer yeah is, excellent is... excellent
0: okay all right well i think um that's they're pretty much the key things that i wanted to hit how about you just tell the listeners where to find you twitter youtube website
1: yeah so uh if you just search justin moon on twitter my my name is justin moon with underscores on each side but if you just search uh that you'll find me uh website's justinmoon.com on there you can find some youtube videos like uh the the first basically the first week of my Biddle boot camp is the videos are free online uh which is you know like I try to kind of give back and you know I understand that not everybody can spend 800 bucks and eventually I want to do scholarships and stuff but at least now I, I put all the videos up online so it's like gonna be like six eight hours of content that's free and it's really like in-depth stuff uh and you know I, like i don't think any of my videos have a single dislike on twitter or on, on youtube you know quite a few likes meant no dislikes so it's it's pretty good stuff and so yeah you can find that on my website justinmoon.com uh and that's about it yeah i mean i uh oh yeah and the site uh, for biddle boot camp oh yeah the biddle boot camp yeah just b-u-i-d-l boot camp b-o-o-t-c-a-m-p biddlebootcamp.com Uh, that's a thanks. Thanks, (laughs) Stephen. I have an aversion to selling apparently, but yeah, middle bootcamp, go check it out. Uh, uh, yeah, I'd I'd love to have you in the class next month. I got about 15 people signed up, uh, still three weeks to go. So I think it's going to be a good group. And, uh, if you join, you're kind of a part of the community forever. Uh, you know, over time, I'm going to try to get some TAs in there to kind of help answer questions and, and kind of, kind of get your, get your kind of uh, coding journey started. So I'm pretty, pretty pumped about it.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds exciting. All right, well, I think it's been a great conversation, and hopefully the listeners have uh, gotten something out of it. Thanks very much for coming on, Justin. Yeah, thanks. Next time I'll let you talk a little
1: more. I kind of, kind of dominated the, <laughs> kind of dominated the mic here. But thanks a lot for having me. Uh, it's, it's, it's. Yeah, I'll, I'll see you on uh, crypto Twitter. See you online. So
0: there you have it, my conversation with Justin Moon. Make sure you check out his Biddle Bootcamp and YouTube channel. Also, just a big thanks to my Patreon supporters. I got a few new supporters recently. My Patreon supporters get access to a private Telegram chat group where like-minded individuals can chat, and also I like to share some inside info such as upcoming guests. If you're interested to join, check out patreon.com slash Stefan That's it for me. Thanks, and I'll speak to you guys next week.